but we're celebrating today. You know what? Because I love America. You know, I really do. I'm going to say this probably a dozen times this morning. I love this country. And, and I understand and realize not everything is perfect in America. Dude, I have a hard time watching the 530 News. I just get so aggravated at the chaos and the craziness that's going on. But still, with all of its faults, America is the greatest place to live. And I'm so glad to be a part of it. Amen. But you, you've got to admit, you've got to admit, there's some crazy things that happen in America. Only in America. For example, only in America can a pizza get to your house before an ambulance. It is true, isn't it, Jason? Only in America are there handicapped parking places in front of a skating rink. Process that, all right? Only in America do drugstores make sick people walk all the way to the back to get their prescriptions filled, while healthy people only have to walk in the door to buy cigarettes. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Only in America do people order double cheeseburgers, fries, and an apple pie with a Diet Coke. <laughs> Only in America do we leave cars worth thousands of dollars in the driveway while there's junk in our garage. Hello? Hello? Only in America do we buy hot dogs in packages of 10 and buns come in packages of eight. I, I just, I don't understand that one either. That's a little bit of craziness that's happening in our country. But let me, let me get serious. There, there's also some sadness that is going on in America. This was written by George Carlin. And it's called The Paradox of Our Time. And I'm just going to take time to read it to you. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers. Wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but we enjoy less. We have bigger houses, but smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less sense. <laughs> I got to like that one, huh? More knowledge, but less judgment. More experts, yet more problems. More medicine, yet less fitness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little, watch too much TV, and pray seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have a hard time crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleared up the air, but we have polluted the soul. We have conquered the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We build bigger computers to hold more information, but we communicate with other people less and less and less. This is the paradox of our time. Yet in all the mess that we have created in America, 
I still love this place. I am an American through and through. I love my country, and I'm glad to be a part of it. But you know what? I've realized right now more than ever in my life that my country needs me. I got my friend up here to tell us that right there. I want you to help me restore America. Because right now, America needs restoration. America needs good people to do something. And more than that, God needs you and his world to be his witness. In fact, we are on mission from God. Did you know that? As a believer, you are on mission from God Almighty. And he wants this world to be a better place. And I agree, it needs to be a better place, doesn't it? Our world needs to be a better place. But that only happens one person at a time as we fulfill the mission that God has called us to. Paul writes about that in Acts chapter 20. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's been in Asia evangelizing and starting churches. But he's taking a fast route back to Jerusalem. And people can't understand why he's going there because all along the way the Holy Spirit has told him when you get back to Jerusalem, you're going to suffer for the cause of Christ and you're going to be put in jail. And Paul realizes really this is it for him. He's going to go back home, but he's going to die for his faith. And so as he's traveling back, he stops and calls the brethren of Ephesus together to say a final farewell to them. And as he has them seated, he he tells them, you know, I have been among you these years, and, and I want you to all know that I have done everything that I can possibly do to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. And I have preached the same message, whether it be to Jew or to Gentile, whether it be privately or publicly, I have proclaimed the truth of Christ because that is what God has called me to. And in verse number 24, he gives us his life's mission. He said, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what it is. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That was Paul's mission in life. He said, that that is why God made me and God saved me. He's called me to tell others the good news about the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And you know what? I have the same mission as Paul. That's my mission. And it's your mission as well. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you went on mission with God. God commissioned you. You became his ambassador to the world. You know, wouldn't it have been cool if when you got saved, God just kind of zapped you and took you to heaven? It would have been great. We could bypass all the junk that's happening in our world. That, That would be awesome, wouldn't it? But he didn't do that because that's not God's plan. God's plan for spreading the good news of the gospel is for you and me to share it with others. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice. So when you got saved, your goal changed from just getting to retirement (laughs) to being on mission with God. So here it is, point number one. My mission in life 
is to bring others into the family of God. That's what my mission is. That's your mission. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 out of the Living Bible asks, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But who can ask unless they believe in him? And how can they believe if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And who is the someone? That's right. Raise your hand. You're someone. All right. We are the someones who are to be telling others about the good news. The point here is for a person to get into God's family, for a person to be saved, for a person to spend eternity in heaven, somebody else has to tell them the good news of the gospel. Did you know you become a part of God's creation by just being born? But you become a part of God's family when you're born again. That is, when you invite Jesus into your heart. Everyone is a creature of God, a creation from God. But not everyone is a child of God. You've got to make that decision. You've got to choose to follow Jesus Christ. You have to be born again. And the only way the Bible says that can happen is if a Christian tells a non-Christian how to be saved. That's what we're here for. I am so glad that one day somebody told me about the good news of the gospel. It started in my own home with my parents. And then it was a preacher who actually led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the moment I become a part of God's family, my mission in life changes. My mission now is to share the good news with other people. Somebody's got to tell them, and that somebody is going to be you. And that somebody's going to be me. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You shall be my witnesses. You, each one of you is believed. You are a witness for Jesus Christ. What is a witness? A witness is somebody who tells from personal experience something that has happened. They've seen it. They've experienced it. You can witness an accident. You can witness a crime. You can witness a wedding or a football game or a war. There's only one qualification of being a witness. You were there when it happened. You experienced it. Now, let me relate this to what you're supposed to witness about. You're supposed to witness about your salvation experience. That's what you witness. You witness Jesus, what Jesus has done for you, how Jesus has changed your life. Now, I don't want you to use this as a crux not to be a Bible scholar, but you, did you know you really don't have to know a whole lot about the Bible to be a witness for Jesus? In fact, you don't have to know hardly any theology to be a witness for Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you why I know this. I know this because some of the best witnesses for Jesus that I've ever seen are people who just got saved. And they didn't know a lick of the Bible. They didn't even know what the word theology meant. They had maybe never even been to Sunday school before. But someone else told them the good news of Jesus and their life was radically changed from the inside out. And they got on fire for God. Why? Because Jesus changed their life. And they were a fireball for Jesus. They were telling everybody about Jesus. And then they got sanctimonious and they came to church and they sat where you sit and 
I don't know, the life just kind of dribbled out of them. You know, that happens. You know what? We need to all be on fire for Jesus, don't we? Because if Jesus has saved us and changed us, we should be ready to tell other people about him. The Bible calls this in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And he tells us that we are to go everywhere and we are to tell everyone the good news of the gospel. So regardless of what your career is, whether you're a school teacher or a truck driver or a doctor or an accountant, my real mission in life, regardless of what my vocation is, is that I use that career to tell other people about Jesus Christ. A non-witnessing Christian is a contradiction. My mission is to help other people come into the family of God. Number two, my motive for doing that is love. And really it's a twofold love. I tell other people about Jesus. Why? Because I love Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. Jesus has made me a whole person. And Jesus has called me to tell other people about him. And because I love Jesus so much, I want to do that. I want to tell people about the Savior of my soul, the lover of my life. I've been set free by the power and blood of Jesus, and I want them to experience that same freedom. And so out of love for my Lord, I am his hands and feet. But the other aspect of that is that we've got to love other people. Our motive in telling them is love. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is long-suffering toward us. I could just stop right there and, and preach for an hour and a half. I'm not going to. Come on. Can you say amen? Amen. But God is long-suffering. Let me tell you, dude, if God gave you what you deserved, you would already be out of here. In hell forever. Because that's what we deserve. But aren't you glad he is long-suffering? God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that anyone perish, no one perish, but that all people come to repentance. You know what that tells me? That tells me God never made a person he didn't love. God loves everyone, and God wants everyone to be saved. Everybody matters to God. And that's why this church should never stop growing and reaching people. As long as there are people outside the walls of this church without Christ and without hope, we need to be reaching them with the good news of the gospel. God wants every person to know him. God wants everyone in his family. And because God cares, we should care. The Bible says, the love of Christ compels us. Wrap your mind around that. The love of Christ compels us. It compels us to love people that, you know what, we normally wouldn't love. It compels us to share the good news with people that normally we wouldn't even talk to. The love of Christ compels us. I remember hearing this when I was a teenager, and it, it still makes sense to me today. People don't care how much I know until they know how much I care. And the first part in being a witness and fulfilling my mission in life is to simply love people and to care about people. Do, do you care about people? 
If I had the cure, you've heard this so many times, it's, it's old, but I'm going to go somewhere else with it. If you had the cure for cancer, if you knew the cure for cancer, and you held that back, you kept that private, you didn't share it with the rest of the world, that would be wrong. In fact, you could say that would be criminal, wouldn't you? If you have a surplus of food in your pantry and in your house and your next door neighbor is starving and going hungry, it would be wrong not to share with them some of your surplus, wouldn't it? And if you know the best news in the world, if you know the good news, and there are people in your life that God has brought into your life that don't know the good news. It would be a cry and shame to keep this good news a secret when they need to hear it. I can tell you this. The world is far more ready to receive the good news than most believers are ready in sharing the good news. My mission, it is to bring others into the family of God. My motive is love. My message, number three, my message is the good news of the gospel. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, out of the Living Bible says, Proclaim the good news to everyone, everywhere. So who do we proclaim the good news to? Say that again. And where do we do it? Everywhere. Does this include work? School? Come on, come on. The answers are yes, okay? Walmart? Your neighborhood? Everywhere. It's to be a part of my daily routine. My mission is to share the good news. And I don't miss anyone with it. I share it with everyone. So i got to ask you, do you like to receive good news? Do you like to receive good news? Yes. Don't you love it? Yes. I mean, it just it, it makes you feel good when you get good news. Puts a smile on your face, clicking your heel. You can make it through the rest of the day when somebody gives you some good news. I love good news. I wished I had some for you today. <laughs> oh, but I do, don't I? Here's something I've discovered as I've gotten older. Not only do I love receiving good news, I like giving good news. I mean, it's fun to be able to be a blessing to someone and to give good news to somebody else, to see their face light up. When you share with them something that is good, isn't that great? And if you're a Christian and you have a hard time sharing your faith, I think the reason is you have forgotten just how good the good news really is. Somehow, we've sat there too long, we've soaked it in too much, and we've lost the fire inside of us. And we take it for granted. Dude, God's changed your life. He's forgiven you. He's set you free. That's something to be happy about. You've got the good news. So what is the good news? Well, let me just throw it out at you. God offers to us the good news in these three ways. God offers to you fulfillment. That is good news. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come so that you might have life and that you might have life to the fullest. Fulfillment. Are, are there people in the world looking for fulfillment today? Yes. Well, you better believe they are. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. 
Not religion, not a ritual, not rules and regulations, not stuffy ceremonies or sanctimonious services, because the Christian life is not a religion. The Christian life is a lifestyle. And what kind of life is it? It is life to the fullest. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. I have come so that you can have life and life to the fullest. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can give that. Not only that, God offers freedom. Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, Son, S-O-N, Jesus, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. Huh. As I've talked to normal, everyday people, I, I hear this same phrase or motif coming through the conversation. People will tell me, I feel trapped. I, I can't seem to break out of a rut. I can't break from this relationship. I can't break from this habit. I can't break free from this circumstance. I can't break from this memory. I'm trapped. And I'll tell them, well, I got some good news for you. I know this man who's got the key that can set you free. His name is Jesus Christ. He can set us free from all the guilt of the past, free from all the resentment, free from all the bitterness and boredom, free from the expectations of others. He can set us free to make us into the people that he has called us to be because God wants you to be free. Amen. What is the good news? The good news is that God offers fulfillment. God offers freedom. And number three, God offers forgiveness. Y'all know Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at it in the good news translation. For sin pays its wage. And what is the wage that sin pays? It's death. But God's free gift, free. He's offering it today. His free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God says, I want to clean your slate. I want to forgive everything you've ever done that is wrong. I want to clear your conscience. I want to wipe away the past. I want to give you a new start. Now, dude, you can't beat a deal like that. <laughs> and it's all a free gift. When I think of forgiveness and freedom and fulfillment, I've, I've got to say to myself, that is what the world is hungry for. That is what every lost person I know is trying to achieve. That's what they want deep down inside, forgiveness, fulfillment, freedom. But they're just looking for it in all the wrong places. And we've got the good news. And if we are not sharing the good news with people who are desiring the good news, the problem is we have forgotten how good the good news really is. That brings me to number four. What method do we use in sharing the good news? Well, to fulfill my mission in life, I do two things. I live it and I speak it. I live it, I share it. First of all, I've got to demonstrate that good news through my lifestyle. Titus chapter 2 verse 10 is, is a really a, a good little verse. I mean, it, it, it'll, it, it gets to me, man. Here's what it says, Titus 2.10. 
show you can be fully trusted so that in every way you will make the teaching about God attractive. Now what, what he's saying is this, you need to live every day a lifestyle that promotes genuine Christianity because you are God's hands and feet in this world. You are God's living representative. And you need to flesh out genuine Christianity. Because these people out there are looking for hope. They're hopeless, but they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers to life's difficult problems. And you have the answer. So make your life attractive to them. In other words, let me put it like this. You are to be contagious. You are to be a magnet that draws people to Jesus. So I've got to ask you, is your life, is your lifestyle attracting anybody to Jesus Christ? Is there anybody in your realm of influence that is interested in becoming a believer because of the way you are living your lifestyle? And if you come back with the answer, I don't guess, I don't think so, I don't know, then you need to be asking yourself, well, what's wrong with my life? Because this is the good news we're talking about. Hmm? The fact is, if, if you open your own eyes, you will realize you're being watched. Do you know that? Like it or not, you're being watched. Your boss, your employees, your business associates, people you go to school with, they're watching you like a hawk. If you tell other people you're a Christian and you go to church, I'm telling you, they're watching you. And you can reach them. But you got to live the right kind of life. I don't want to get to heaven one day and have to explain to God why somebody used my lifestyle as an excuse for not coming to Jesus Christ. I don't want that to happen. And neither do you. Guys, we need to understand this, this is very serious stuff. Understand the high stakes that we're talking about here. We're talking about where people are going to spend eternity, heaven or hell. And they're both real. And how I live my life and who I choose to share Christ with will make a difference in other people's lives. It will in some lives, whether they spend it in heaven or hell. And you know what? You're the witness to that. So how are you living your life? I cannot overestimate what we're talking about today. Your life is either going to draw people to Jesus like a magnet or it's going to push them away from Jesus Christ. How you live is influencing more people than you realize. And I just, I just want to stop right there and let that soak in a little bit. Because here's what it affects. It affects the people that, you know what, we really don't even know, but we are around. You, you tell me, how can I go into a restaurant and, and be rude to my waiter or waitress and then share the gospel with them? How in the world can I go to Walmart and, and be mad at a, at, a, at a person who is checking me out and then that person come to church on Sunday morning and I try to witness to them? You see what I'm talking about there? We are to flesh out the Christian lifestyle wherever we are. 
Because that's the good news we're proclaiming. And we do that with our life. Now, I don't mean that you walk around being a fake all the time, being an actor all the time. No, it has to be real. Jesus has to be real with you. But if you have Jesus in you and you're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I believe you're going to have joy unspeakable and full of glory in your life. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You do have the answers to life's problems. It's in the book, and it's in your heart. So we flesh that out with the life that we live. But not only do we live it, number two, we share it. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that is inside of you. We need to not only live the life, but we need to verbalize our faith. We need to tell other people. It's not enough just to live the life. You've got to open your mouth and speak it. The Bible says to be ready to give an answer. That means that we open our mouths and we speak the good news. I know a lot of Christians who are Arctic River Christians. They're frozen at the mouth. That was funnier on paper than it is when I speak it. I can tell you that. You say, well, well preacher, I, I, can't, I can't witness. I can't do that. I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> Neither do most people I know. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm looking around in here. I, don't, I really don't know if, if there's too many people in this room who have the gift of evangelism. But you know what? You don't have to have the gift of evangelism. Because that's not what we're talking about here. You've not been called to be an evangelist, but you have been called to be a witness. All of us are called to be a witness. And you know what a witness is? You just simply tell other people what's happened to you. <laughs> Has Jesus changed your life? You can tell that story. The greatest need in our world today is to have audiovisual Christians. <laughs> People who flesh it out and people who speak it. They walk the walk. They talk the talk. They say it and they show it. They do it both so people can see it and they can hear it. And that's my message. Our mission to bring other people into the household of faith. Our motive is love. Our message is the good news. And our method is audiovisual. But let me just end by giving you three practical ways that you can do this. Because the sermon is all about making this world a better place. That happens one person at a time. And so here's how we do it. Number one, make a prayer list of those people who are in your life that need the Lord. People that God has brought into your circle. Whether they be in your neighborhood, your school, your workplace. People that, that you've just met through a hobby. But people you know that are not saved or unchurched, put them on your prayer list and you start praying for them. Number two, build a bridge to that person. Build a bridge by listening and by caring and by loving them. What I'm talking about here is building relationships with people. You know, there are people right here in Fort Smith that I've been, I have been building relationships with 
You know, for years, like I'm thinking of this one guy, I've been, I've been building a relationship with him for 10 years. And when God gives me opportunities to witness to him, I take advantage of those opportunities. I have told him about Jesus, the love of Christ. I've invited him to church. He hasn't come yet, but you know what? I'm building relationships with him. I'm involved in his life. I'm demonstrating love to him. When he was in the hospital, I went to see him. He's called me and asked me to pray for him. We're, we're, we're making steps here. We're making progress. He's still not saved, but I'm working on him. Building relationships with him. I read a story about a, a Chinese foreign exchange student who came to this country and was educated. He met another guy who helped him out during a difficult time in his life. And, and here's what the Chinese foreign exchange student said about this Christian who helped him. He said, that man cared for me. He built a bridge between my heart and his heart. And Jesus Christ walked across the bridge. That's what it's all about. So make a prayer list. Build a bridge. And then number three, just invite people to church. And how difficult is that? Just invite them to come. Say, hey, come to church with me. I, I want you to come to church and, and hear the music and listen to my preacher preaching. And just invite people to come to church. There's an old Mercedes commercial that said, some things in life are too important to not share. Think about that. Some things in life are just too important to not share. This is one of them. It's the good news of the gospel. In fact, it's the best news. And we need to be sharing it. I love America. I do. I love my country. I'm worried about it. I'm, I'm worried that the path that we're taking, I'm worried about the things that I'm seeing happen. I'm, I'm worried about liberalism coming in and changing the morality of our country. That scares me. It scares me. I want this world to be a better place. I want America to be a better place for my grandkids than it was for me. But for that to happen, I've got to make a difference. And it happens one person at a time. Is I am on mission with God and share my faith with others. And I can't think of a better way to start this patriotic week than at the altars. Number one, praying for our country. And number two, asking God to give us opportunities to make a difference in our world. Heavenly Father, 